Hey, Jerry, I'm so excited. Our podcast, Because I Want to Know and Hibbly Horror Stories, are doing a live event together in the Dallas area. Yep, Saturday, October 16th. It's going to be so much fun. Dude, you just completely ignored the fact that Mysterious Circumstances and Hillbilly Horror Stories have a live event the night before in Galveston, Texas. I did not. As a matter of fact, Justin, I was just going to bring up the Galveston show on Friday, October 15th. Jerry, why are you doing a commercial with Justin? Once again, you have given him special treatment over me. Besides, we have a special private dinner show in Memphis on that Tuesday, October 12th. Tracy. I would never give anyone preferential treatment over you. Of course you wouldn't. Thank you, Justin. Um, hello? Leslie Fear over here. Now everyone's ignoring me. Enough! Get your tickets and more information at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. We will see you there unless we kill each other first. Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey everyone, I'm joined with Jerry Polly, the one and only, my mentor, the reason I'm a podcaster. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Leslie, thanks for having me on and quit trying to build my head up like it's it's already big enough. I won't be able to fit through the door at the house. Well, you know what? Hillbilly Horror Stories, by the way, your podcast is doing amazingly well. You're up for an award, which I, by the way, voted for you. You're welcome. And I am just so happy for you and Tracy that you guys are being recognized and that you're doing so well with your podcast. And now you also have a YouTube channel, Hillbilly Dead Time Stories, where you talk about witches and hauntings and aliens and probably cryptids. I'm not even sure about that part, but all I know is <laughs> it's supposedly doing very well too. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet because it's fairly new. But my goodness, dude, you are a busy guy. So tell me a little bit about your podcast and your YouTube channel, and then we'll talk about something else. Well, the podcast everybody already knows about for the most part. It's just uh, we cover everything unexplainable, everything paranormal, throw in some UFO, throw in a little bit of cryptid every now and then. But uh, what we try to focus on are a lot of the stories, uh, especially in the last year, that you probably haven't heard. You know, right. they're still really good stories, but they're not the big, big stories, the Amityvilles and all that stuff. Right. But uh, that's that's the most fun. And then where that branches out, I decided that I wanted to do a video series, which is where Hillbilly Dead Time Stories comes in. But we do something unique with it. The audio, these are like eight to 10 minute clips that we have had some go up to 18 minutes. Most right. parts, they're anywhere from seven to 10 minutes long. So they're short. And, I, you know, our regular podcast, it's Tracy and myself just bantering back and forth like me and mm-hmm. you are doing right now. It's a, right. what they call a conversational podcast. <laughs> and Dead Time Stories, we needed another episode to put on. So what we did, this is fully scripted. It's written out. It's got, you know, the dramatic or scary music, whatever's needed in the background. And the stories are probably lesser known stories. We don't do any of the big known stories on there. Mm. I love that, though. Yeah, that's nice. I like something that I've never heard of. And, you know, if if nothing else, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I know you do, too. And some of the stories, though they are retold by different podcasters, I always learn a little something new. But when you get something that's brand new, I love that. So that's awesome. And what the difference is, we decided that when we did that, it's going to be an episode that we can put on the podcast that you can just listen to. You don't need a video Mm. for it. it. It plays out perfect without the video oh nice and it's a little different than what we normally do but at the same time 
there is a video version on our YouTube page that you can go to so you get to see a completely different version, but you can listen to it without the video and it so it works both ways. It works right. audio and it works video wise. Nice, nice. And I tell you, like I said, I love hearing those stories, especially the new ones. So and I know you've got a new one for me tonight. So I think we're gonna talk about aliens first. So talk to me about what you have. Okay. This actually took place in Brookfield, Ohio, which is kind of up closer to Youngstown, Cleveland, up uh, up in the northern part of Ohio, closer to Pennsylvania. Okay. Now, this was just after midnight, and Rayanne Rudolph, she was taking calls from the Trumbull County uh, 911 unit up in Ohio. Mm-hmm. She gets a call, and then she gets another call, and then she gets another call. This is back in October of 1994, and it's just after midnight. So okay. the switchboard, it's just its just ringing off the hook. So she starts fielding all these calls, and it's people that are concerned either because they think there's a plane getting ready to crash or they're seeing strange lights over Brookfield. And mm. some of these people that are just scared to death. So after a number of the calls start to kind of mount, she decides that she's going to report this to some police officers in the field that are having some lunch right now. This is the Liberty Township officers, Patrolman Stephen Remder and Sergeant mm-hmm. Tommy Malore. Okay. And they get this call. They're sitting in a restaurant. They're eating their lunch. And they're like, okay, this is kind of strange. We need to go see what's going on. We'll put our lunch on hold. They right. get in the car and they go to see what they think is possibly a plane that's trying to land and it's, flowing, it's flying low over these homes of these concerned citizens. Mm. So Sergeant Malor informs Remners that he's going to go check out the situation to see what's causing this commotion. So they get in the car, they take off. While they're en route, this elderly gentleman walking his dog on Samson Drive, he flags down Sergeant Malor. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman, the gentleman claims that there's a large bluish-purple object that just left the area, and it was silently hovering over his home for several minutes. What? Now... Now, not wanting to make, you know, anything out of what he's just receiving, Malora's like, okay, you know, I'm going to go ahead and continue driving down Samson Drive and see if I can catch a glimpse of whatever it is yeah. that, that might be causing this big fuss. So after driving about a quarter of a mile down Samson Drive, Sergeant Malora was extremely baffled by the events that were getting ready to take place. As he's driving down the street, his radios in his car, the CB and the, and the car stereo, go completely dead. Then the car's engine shuts off and all the lights inside and outside the vehicle shut off. Oh, God. So so the cruiser just kind of like close encounters from the third kind. (laughs) Right. So (laughs) as the cruiser starts rolling to a stop, he puts the car in park and decides, you know, hey, I'm going to try to restart it. But nothing happened. He turned the key, nothing. Suddenly, after trying a bunch of times to start his cruiser, he notices that his entire vehicle, inside and out, was like bathed in this intense white light. Oh, Lord. He's freaked out. Yeah. He gets out of his car to see what's shining this incredible amount of light down on his cruiser. So when he gets out, all he could see was white light. He even tried to mm. shade his eyes with his hands, and it didn't help shade through the, how bright the light was. Oh, no. Wow. Okay. Yikes. After about 30 seconds, the light kind of started moving away from the car. And as it did, he could see that above the light was a saucer-shaped object that made absolutely no noise whatsoever. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So as this thing, this ship or whatever it is, it moves several hundred feet down uh, the same street that he's on. The engine in the, in the car starts up lights and everything radios all come back on. And 
this all happened without the officer even turning the key or anything. It was like it had never happened. Oh, my God. Just instantly everything started working again. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Sergeant Malore, he hops up back in his car, right? And he he throws it in a drive and he starts chasing this this UFO. And yeah, good luck with that. This thing. Yeah, this (laughs) thing couldn't keep up with it. This thing was going. The ship was going so fast. The car couldn't keep up with it at all. So he was losing ground, you know, every second that he was out there. So he decides that he's going to call the dispatcher and have all other units in the field on there so he can describe what he's seeing. Right. Rayanne, back at the 911 dispatch, she's starting to get scared because Sergeant Malore was supposed to be out there trying to track down a low flying plane. Instead, now he's in pursuit of a UFO. Mm. Three, three other units in the vicinity responded to the broadcast and they headed in the direction that he had told them the UFO was traveling. Monitoring the broadcast... Rayanne Rudolph decided she was going to call the air traffic controllers in nearby Youngstown, Ohio, to kind of see if they knew what was flying over top of Trumbull County. Right. They informed her that not only did they not know what what it could be, they didn't have anything even showing up on their radar system. Of course not. Yeah. So this kind of freaked her out even a little more. And she almost felt a little stupid for calling them because she was (laughs) like, I mean, they're not even showing anything. Yeah. So out in the field, the officers were chasing this thing up I-82. As they did, one of them stopped their cruiser. He got out and, and pulled his binoculars out because he wanted to see if he could get a, a better look. And through the binoculars, he said the object appeared to be solid-shaped like a saucer with a small dome on the top. And the UFO was covered with lights that had all kinds of different intensities. Some of them were bright. Some of them weren't bright. Mm. But they were colored in different shades of red, blue, purple, and white. Wow. So a short distance away having kind of listened to to what was going on over the radio, Lieutenant James Baker of the Brookfield Township Police Department decided that he was going to go to the highest point in Trumbull County to see what this UFO was that everybody's talking about. So he quickly gets up to what they call the old NORAD radio tower. And uh, this thing was no longer in use, but it was up at the highest part of Mm -hmm. the city. Once he got up there, he kind of ran up the stairs real quick and he got up on the top platform and he was just astonished at what he saw. Uh-oh. From where he was standing, there was not one, but three of these saucer-shaped crafts. Oh. And he said they looked exactly like the other 11 officers described. Really? So he watched as this loose triangle formation of ships changed color in sequence from blue to red to purple to white. Then the objects continued north, and Lieutenant Baker said they watched them until they were no longer in sight. Oh, my God. So here's what always happens in these cases. When they were asked, the the officers described exactly what they saw. They were all in unison, and they told the story to anybody who would listen. Eventually, it actually made it to NBC. Oh, really? And when it was there, an astronomer by the name of James McGahee, he informed the viewing public that the officers had not seen any UFOs at all. He claims that 12 highly trained law law enforcement officers were scared out of their wits and chased by a natural phenomenon that was some kind of light formation in the sky. And he described it basically as a fireball that had caused a bright light over the first officer. To which the Mm. officer's like, well, I mean, I don't know any fireball that would be that bright. And second of all, I don't know any fireballs that can hover and chase down a street when being followed. Right. Yeah. That's the basics of it. So this happened back in 94 in Ohio. You had 12 police officers that saw this. And And police officers, you got to believe them. I mean, it's not like they're out to be famous or anything. You know, they're kind of more credible to me than maybe just some backwoods farmer that, you know, you never see. And and he could be a little crazy because he's alone all the time with animals. I mean... (laughs) 
know? Well, and then obviously the other police officers are used to looking at the sky. They're used to looking at stars and seeing if something Ooh, yeah. moving is a, is a plane or what have you. You know, some of that is actually part of their training. So it's ludicrous to think that right. 12 people saw these things. And, oh, and yeah. even let's say, let's say it was a fireball or something. When the gentleman saw this craft with the binoculars, he said that it was completely solid. That's not stars. That's a solid object. Right. And they all described the dome. Nobody, and if even if you see something a certain way, you would think that people were at different locations. They're not going to see it from the same viewpoint. And the one right. guy was up on top of the radio tower, and he's seeing a completely different vantage point than the other guys. So, right. yeah, they all saw the same thing, no matter where they were standing. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, I tell you what, it kind of makes me think about it, though, Jerry. What do you think about all this new um, governmental release of some of the alien information? They are actually saying, we don't know what everything is out there, and we can't identify them. So what are your thoughts about that? I mean, it's pretty basic. In the advent of the Internet, everybody's got cell phones, everybody's got cameras, Mm -hmm. everybody's got access to stuff. And to be honest with you, Tom DeLonge, the lead singer for Blink-182, he has pretty much quit performing and spent all his time and money trying to prove these existence. And that very first video that came out from the naval ship, I guess about two years ago now, Mm -hmm. he actually got his hands on that and released that. Had he not done that, yeah, had he not done that, I don't know that we would be where we're at today. I think the fact that that came out and it was leaked to him by somebody mm-hmm. and the fact that it came out and the Navy had to actually speak up to it. I think that kind of started this whole thing rolling. Um, but you yeah, we're just right. in, a, in an age yeah. where you can't hide all this stuff like you used to be able to. Right. And the guy is kind of famous too. So he had a platform, which helped. So yeah, I can, I can see that. Absolutely. All right. So you got another story for me, don't you? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Uh, I was trying it's to nice say. It's nice when someone uh, else does all the work. It's kind of nice when you when you do all the work, and I just get to listen and and enjoy a story from my friend. Right. I'm sure that you're familiar with the Salem witch trials. I am. All right. So in the United States, when somebody mentions witches, would I be correct in assuming that in most cases our thoughts immediately drift to Salem, Massachusetts? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it makes sense, right? Considering that yeah. Salem witch trials are still a hot topic today. 329 years after the last woman was executed for being a witch. I can't believe it's, it's been still that popular. long. Gosh. Wow. Yeah, okay. it's, it don't seem a day over 300 years. Oh, yeah, so. I know. I mean, the time has gone by, by so fast. <laughs> <laughs> You're making fun of me, Jerry. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you you probably remember it, but, you know, for some yeah, of well, us. Yeah, well, I do. I know, so. I do. I was there. I mean, hey, you know. <laughs> Don't let everybody know this. You know, I, I, I look fantastic for 329 years. Come on. <laughs> the cool thing about Salem, though, is it's kind of embraced its dark history and it welcomes thousands of tourists every single year. Oh, yeah. Most of I've them, been there. I've been there. And see, I haven't yet. I'm dying to go. I'll probably go next year. And you know what? I, I'm, yeah, I probably better not say nothing yet. I might, by the end of the show, have a, a little bit of news that I might be Ooh. willing to share with you. Oh, well, uh, hey, I am the podcast to give all the new news to. Yes. (laughs) Let her rip. Well, well, I'll go ahead and tell. Since we're talking about the Salem witch trials now. Okay. Yes. The expert on Salem and the Salem witch trials is Mm -hmm. Sam Baltrusis. He actually is part of a haunting on the Travel Channel. He works for the Travel Channel. Oh, nice. Got a bunch of books out. 
And if you see a special ever on Haunted Salem, uh, he's probably a part of it. But right. he was on episode 100, 100 of uh, A Haunting. It's the most watched episode they've ever had. Oh, wow. And uh, I, I'm actually got an interview set up with him next Wednesday. So Are you serious? Oh, yeah, that's really amazing. Good job. Uh, can you talk him into coming on my show? I guess uh, not. That we'll was see. a long pause. We'll Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, he started off when when he started off by telling me he was super busy, but he'd try to make time. So I, I know he's got a lot going on right now. Absolutely. All no, right. tell me your story though. I want to hear yours. So we're ta- we're talking about Salem. We're talking about how you know most come there because they want to see the sites that are associated with the witch trial. Sure. But if you dig a little bit deeper into America's belief in witches, mm-hmm. you're going to find that Salem was not the first big witch hunt to take place. Oh, really? That actually happened 30 years earlier in 1662, and that's a witch hunt that would result in seven trials and four executions. Oh my gosh, where was this? So it was late March of 1662 in Hartford, Connecticut. You're kidding. So you got, no, John and Bethia Kelly, they were grieving the loss of their eight-year-old daughter, okay? okay? Little Elizabeth, she had been fine in recent days, but... That was before she went and spent time with her neighbor, a woman by the name of Goody Ayers. So mm-hmm. the, the family, they're grief-stricken, and they're desperate for answers. And back then, nothing could just be, you know, people just died or crops just failed. There had right. to be something involved. They could only reflect on the words that their daughter had said the night that she returned from the neighbor's house. Okay. She said, Father, Father, help me. Good wife Ayers is upon me. She chokes me. She kneels on my belly. She will break my bowels. Oh, my God. She pinches God. me. She will make me black and blue. This is what? one of the last things that the daughter ever said. So and how, after how old Elizabeth, is the daughter? Eight. She's eight and saying this to her parents? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. So after Elizabeth's death, whispers of witchcraft started to envelop the town. Okay. Fingers were pointed towards several townspeople. Panicked, ripped through the streets oh, because yeah. Hartford had been the site of the first ever execution of a suspected witch in the colonies mm. a generation earlier, May 26th, 1647. Wow. So they had a history. Yeah. Now on, on that day, there was a young lady by the name of Alice Young and she was sent to the gallows that were erected at Hartford's Meeting House Square. And that's actually where Connecticut's old state house now stands. And uh, that's where the gallows stood back in the day. Oh, lovely. So witchcraft. <laughs> so just to take you back to that time, uh, and while these punishments were handed out, witchcraft was one of 12 capital crimes that were decreed by Connecticut's colonial government in 1642. Yeah, they were very superstitious. Oh, yeah. But do you know what the legal precedent cited was on why witchcraft was against the law? Why? The word of God. Because biblical passages, such as Exodus chapter 22, verse 18, said, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And Mm. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27, says, A man also or woman that hath a familiar spirit, or that is a wizard, shall surely be put to death. Well, that would do it. So that was their (laughs) basis for this being against the law. Between 1642 and 1662... Seven people were executed for being witches. So in basically a 20-year period, seven people. So they were scattered. Mm. However, it was Hartford in 1662 
30 years before the infamous Salem witch trials, that a witch hunt hysteria took hold, resulted in seven trials and four executions, mm. all in that short period of time. That's crazy. So shortly after Elizabeth's death, the devoutly religious Ann Cole, she had a, an affliction that caused her to shake violently and spout blasphemy. Mm-hmm. A witness that was there said Ann Cole was taken with strange fits wherein she, or rather the devil, held a discourse for a considerable time. Mm-hmm. So Ann Cole claims that she had been bewitched by her neighbor, a woman by the name of Rebecca Greensmith. Mm-hmm. Now, as was the case during this time period, if a person, was, person wasn't really clean or they kind of kept to themselves or they had a less than charming personality, we'll say, mm-hmm. they were oftentimes assumed to be a witch. Mm, well. And that was the case here. Wow. Rebecca was described by townspeople as a lewd, ignorant, considerably aged woman. How about mm. that? Yeah. Well, that's... Are you talking about me? Were you referring I, I, to I, me? I am not. <laughs> so, but let's keep in mind that the Kellys, who just lost their daughter, they had already blamed Goody Ayers for the death of their daughter. So now right. you got two different people here claiming mm-hmm. different people are witches. True. Soon those who accused, they started to accuse other people. And before you know it, everybody's finger pointing, it's neighbors testifying against neighbors. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, this even included their own spouses. That's crazy. Now, Goody Ayers, I know it. Now, Goody Ayers, her husband, maybe in an attempt to kind of spare his wife, he accused Rebecca Greensmith. She was the other one. So I guess he figured, hey, we'll throw everything to this lady instead of get the heat off of my wife. Mm -hmm. And Greensmith... She didn't do herself any favors. Uh, the most damning testimony actually came from her. Oh, <laughs> really? Maybe maybe this was out of spite, or maybe it was her way of ridiculing the courts. But she admitted to having, quote-unquote, familiarity with the devil and said that at Christmas they would have a merry meeting to form a covenant. I don't know oh. why she would say that, but yeah, she did. that's not good. And then she implicated her husband... And said that she had met in the woods with seven other witches, including Goody Ayers, Mary Sanford, and a woman by the name of Elizabeth Seeger. Oh, boy. And then people started jumping on the bandwagon. Neighbors then testified (laughs) that they saw, they had had seen Seeger in the woods dancing with other women and cooking mysterious concoctions in black kettles. Yeah, no red flags. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Now, as they get on with trying to do these trials, two of the suspects were subject to the swimming test. And you've probably heard this. This is where they would tie your hands and your feet and they would throw you in the water right. and uh, test the theory that witches are unable to sink. So if you sink and died, congratulations, you were not a witch. At least your name's cleared. Right. But if but, you didn't, you're still a witch, you get killed. <laughs> <laughs> right. In most cases. So it was a no-win situation. Yeah. So after they were tried, the Greensmiths were indicted for, get this, for not having fear of God before thine eyes, thou hast entertained familiarity with Satan, the grand enemy of God and mankind, by his help, has acted things in a preternatural way. So the court's verdict, according to the law of God and the established law of the commonwealth, thou deserve to die. It's all about Satan. It's demonic. (laughs) (laughs) So Rebecca Greensmith, she had confessed already and said all that other stuff about, you know, meeting up with the devil and all that stuff. Her husband, Nathaniel Greensmith, protested his innocence the whole time. But they both met the exact same fate. Oh, my God. By hanging. 
Oh. Sanford, which was the other one of the other women that she had mentioned, she was also sent to the gallows. And then there was a lady named Mary Barnes from Farmington, Connecticut. She somehow got swept up in this whole witch hunt, and she was executed oh along God. with the Greensmiths. Remember Anna Coe? She had the little fit where she was uh, yes. shaking and all that. Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly after the execution, she regained her health. So that's a good thing, I guess. It's the Ayers, <laughs> yeah, Goody Ayers, she actually fled Hartford, and she was never captured. So she made it out. Otherwise, she would have been hung too. She was smart. Uh, she like she she was like later, right? And then the other lady Seeger that they said they had seen her out dancing with the and doing stuff in the uh, black cauldrons and stuff. Mm-hmm. She was actually convicted of witchcraft in 1665, but the governor reversed the verdict the very following year. Oh, so wow. So she actually was released. Nice. Now, the okay. four executions of suspected witches in Hartford were the last ever in the state of Connecticut. Mm. Another hysteria broke out in Fairfield, Connecticut in 1692, but none of those convicted were put to death. So I guess that was kind of the route that they were starting to take. Right. The final witch trial in Connecticut was in 1697, exactly 50 years after Alice Young's initial execution that we talked about earlier. Mm. So during this time period, 46 people were prosecuted and there were 11 total executions. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the cool part. Descendants of some of those 11 colonists that were executed, they're Mm -hmm. seeking posthumous pardons and apologies similar to those... Yeah, now this happened in Salem. They mm-hmm. uh, actually did that. They went through and, and pardoned all the, uh, I think there was 19 that were uh, mm-hmm. killed in Salem. But they actually did receive posthumous pardons and apologies. But here's the nice. problem with Connecticut. The state's board of pardons and paroles has a policy of not granting posthumous pardons. So the descendants really? are now mm-hmm. pressing for a gubernatorial proclamation to clear the names of their ancestors. Wow. So there you have the story of the very first actual witch, witch trial hunt in here United in States. the United States. That is, I had no idea. You know, the 1600s were not good for them. It was right. a bad, the 1600s were bad for anybody practicing witchcraft, if you did or didn't, because it really didn't matter. And, Once you were accused, and, that was and, it. And my guess is that nobody was doing it. I mean, it's. Just, I know. I mean, you know what? There might have been one. You know, maybe in the Salem one. I think the girls, uh, they were talking about maybe they had eaten something that made them spasm or that one may have had an epileptic seizure or whatever it was. But or they were making it all up. They don't even really. Yeah, know. I think it was there was a, there was a fungus that would get into the wheat that mm-hmm. I think is what caused all that up there. Right. That's what I had heard. So and I could remember the actual uh, specifics. But yeah, no, that's what I've heard. So that and then I everything had no else idea. is just mass hysteria. Yeah. Well, and, and that's that's a true, actual thing that happens. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, you know, one, one thing happened and everybody else got scared. Next thing you know, everybody's, you know, they're scared of what's going to happen. I mean, you know, it's just the way that it is. Yeah. But no, uh, Jerry, you have been fantastic to join me on Spur of the Moment because I missed you and I was like, I need to have Jerry on my podcast. I haven't had him on in forever. Uh, I would have loved to have had Tracy, but you know what? I'll take what I can get at this point. So, <laughs> and anybody that's listening to me right now, guys, listen to Hillbilly Horror Stories. It's a fantastic podcast if you like stories like this and others. Um, Jerry talks with his wife and they talk about everything and anything they can. Of course, we don't do too much true crime because that upsets Tracy and I get it. 
Uh, but I go there sometimes on mine, and that's okay. <laughs> you do what you do. But um, and also Hillbilly Dead Time Stories on YouTube, guys, go subscribe to that. I will put all the links on my show notes. And uh, Jerry, you have been fantastic to join me tonight. And anything else you'd like to add uh, before we I say think- good night? I think we probably need to mention a little something we got going on in October. Oh my goodness, yes. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> you take the reins on this one. October 16th in, is it Grand Prairie, Texas? Is that the little suburb yes. kind of, of uh, not necessarily Grand a suburb Prairie. of Dallas, but Dallas area. It's between Dallas and Fort Worth, basically. Yeah. So we are having a live event. Uh, I can't remember the name of the Outlaws Barbecue, Outlaws Barbecue Restaurant. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, yeah, so we're doing that on October 16th, a Saturday, and I think it's 7 to 10. It's going to be us two there doing live versions of our podcast. I think Tim Mullins is going to be there from Hillbilly Horror House to kind of emcee the whole thing and hold nice. it all together. But it's going to be a fun live event. Tickets are available at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. And it's just going to be fun. We get to all kind of hang out together and tell some stories. And uh, Leslie and I will both have books for sale and merchandise and all that. It's uh, one of the few times that we ever actually make it to the Midwest, and uh, we're excited about it. Well, I will be, if you guys don't know this already, I have never met Jerry or Tracy in person, so I am thrilled, and I've never met Tim Mullins in person, so I'm thrilled to meet all of you guys and give you guys big hugs and maybe even have dinner before we start so I won't be starving and having some hangriness going on. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The place is supposed to be really good as far as food-wise, so I'm excited about it, and we actually have... uh, we're not just going to be in the main restaurant. They actually have a big party room that uh, right. seats, I think, 75 people or something. And we actually have that. It's completely closed off. So uh, come out there and get you some food. We'll we'll eat. We'll drink. We'll have fun. And we'll uh, share some stories. Yeah. Hey, it's filling up. We're selling some tickets. We've sold several in the last few days. So, guys, get on the bandwagon if you want to come see uh, Jerry and Tracy with Hibbley Horror Stories and me with Because I Want to Know Podcast. Come on out. We will be happy to see you guys. We'll have our books and Jerry will have some merchandise. I might even have some pens with my podcast name on it because I just got them in and they're really cool. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a great time. Awesome. I'm excited to meet you, Les. Oh, I'm excited to meet you. And hey, thanks for coming on my show, Jerry. It's good to talk to you and tell Tracy I said hello. I will. Well, I love providing because I want to know to you at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can donate to the show at my PayPal at lesliefear at yahoo.com. Any support you give will be sincerely appreciated as I'm a one-woman show and I do all my own producing, all my own recording, and all my own scheduling. And I appreciate any amount you feel led to give as it'll help offset the cost of my show. Also, one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist. I have eight under my belt and you can find them all on Amazon.com. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you all so much for your support and I will see you next week.